I'm a student at Virginia Tech and I'm interning with Clearwood Blues. We can't oh, hear you. I'm interning with Clearwood Blues Policy Institute this summer. I'm honored to introduce our next speaker, Kimberly Day. Kimberly is the Vice President and General Counsel of Young Americans Foundation, overseeing the foundation's legal and plan-giving department. Kimberly is concerned with all legal issues facing Young Americans Foundation's headquarters, the Reagan Ranch and Reagan Ranch Center, and activities throughout the country. She also helps students stand up for their rights on campuses, pursues trademarks, and meets the foundation's general legal obligations. Kimberly got her start as a student at Rutgers University where she attended her first Young America's Foundation's regional conference in 1996. In 1997, she attended the Foundation's National Conservative Student Conference in Washington, D.C., where she was introduced to the Clear Booth Blues Policy Institute. As a student, she worked with CPLPI to spread conservative ideas on her campus by hosting Suzanne Fields to speak on the radical feminist agenda, which was a highly successful event. In her early 20s, she continued to go to the two events the Institute hosted, including the Conservative Women Network luncheons at the Heritage Foundation. Prior to joining the Foundation, Kimberly served as Director of Development for Frontiers of Freedom, Assistant Director of Legislation and Communications for the American Tort Reform Association, and Marketing and Development Coordinator for the Institute for Justice. She is a member of the District of Columbia Bar, earned her Juris Doctor, from George Mason University School of Law and her Bachelor of Arts in 1998 from Rutgers University, where she was an undergraduate associate of the Eagleton Institute of Politics. I have worked with Young America's Foundation myself through campus events and attending conferences, and know that Mrs. Begg will have a world of conservative wisdom to offer to us. Please help me in welcoming Mrs. Kimberly Begg. so much for that wonderful introduction. I am so happy to be here with all of you today, and I'm so happy that all of you are here today for a day full of advice and help uh, tailored just for conservative women. And it's no surprise that this great program is being put on by the Claire Blue Blues Policy Institute. No organization has done more to help young women, young conservative women, from the Claire Booth Loose Policy Institute. I was first introduced to this great organization 19 years ago. I know, you've been here 19 years, and you think that was a really long time ago. And for really all of you, it was almost a lifetime ago. But actually, for me, it doesn't feel like all that long ago. And that's some of what I want to talk to you about today and we will get to that in just a little bit. But first, it was 19 years ago. I was a rising senior at Rutgers University when I was attending the National Conservative Student Conference. This is the longest running annual conference for young conservatives in the country put on by Young America's Foundation. And it is a conference that Ronald Reagan helped build. He hosted this conference at the White House every year of his presidency. And Claire Wilkins Policy Institute hosts a luncheon at this conference every year. It's so important that they do this because it's a conference just for young conservative women. Because women and men are very different, and women have a lot of opportunities, um, not just challenges, but opportunities that men don't have. So it's so important that Claire Wilkins Policy Institute does this. 
1997, when I attended this conference and this luncheon, there were so few women attending this huge conference for young conservatives that our luncheon, just for women, fit around one boardroom table. Now today, when Claire Blues hosts this luncheon at this conference, there are so many women attending this conference that it fills up an entire lunchroom at the Marvin Center at George Washington uh, University. The conservative movement has come a long way in the last few years, and the Claire Blues Policy Institute under Michelle Eason's leadership deserves a lot of credit for that. So after I attended this great program, this great luncheon, luncheon, I went back to Rutgers, and I went back to Rutgers with a purpose. I wanted to introduce my peers to all the great ideas that I was learning about, about conservatism. So I called Claire Boulouse, and they helped me host Suzanne Fields on my campus. Suzanne Fields is a conservative columnist for the Washington Times. It was a really great event. In fact, it was so successful that uh, Suzanne Fields wrote about it in her column. And I accomplished my goal of spreading conservative ideas at Rutgers, ideas that were not taught and really not introduced and really not even tolerated um, on college campuses today. But more importantly, it was a leadership opportunity for me. I had to plan the event, I had to organize the event, promote it, and I had to introduce the speaker. And I had never done any public speaking in my entire life. As it turns out, I was terrible, I was horrible at it. Um, but that, too, was an important experience for me. I encourage all of you, those of you who are still in school, um, you go back to your campuses this fall, call Clearbooth's Policy Institute, call Young Americans Foundation, host a conservative speaker on your campus. It will be one of the most satisfying, most exciting, most fun, most important experiences of your college education. I think it's because of this training that I got through Young Americans Foundation and through that I have a real passion for the topic of this program today. I've seen a lot of interns come through our office, and some of them have been really impressive. In fact, the most impressive ones are the ones that we hire and are part of our full-time team. So what I want to help you all do today is to help you all be really impressive too. The title of my talk is Millennials versus Gen X. Um, that makes uh, our relationship appear somewhat adversarial, and it's not. Um, it's not adversarial, but you should be aware that there is a lack of understanding between our generations that are preventing us from working better together. There has been so much written for my generation to help us understand you, um, millennials, and a lot of what I have read on this topic has been very helpful me in understanding some of the ways that you were brought up um, and some of the ways that I can help relate to you better. But I've noticed that there's been very little written to help you all understand some of your Gen X supervisors. So um, that's why I'm here today. I'm going to outline a few generalizations about uh, Gen Xers, my generation. This will not apply to all members of my generation, just as a lot of the generalizations um, talk about in just a bit, about millennials will not apply to all of you. And I think that it's going to especially be the case in a lot of uh, your personal situations because a lot of you already consider yourselves to be conservative. I work with a lot of really impressive millennials in my office, and a lot of them do not fit the stereotypes, um, especially some of the more negative stereotypes of millennials today. Um, but I do think it's important to note that even if 
um, all of these uh, assumptions and all of the, the different ways we were raised don't apply to each of us. That um, the, the culture of the time and some of those common experiences do shape our behavior. So I think it's, it's important that we talk about them. Okay, so Gen Xers. We are the generation born after the baby boomers, uh, generally born between 1961 and 1981. Uh, we are the MTV generation. Uh, video killed the radio star. Are you all familiar with that? Okay. My husband suggested that I actually explain what that is. He thought he might not know that. That was the first video that was ever played in 1981 on MTV. We are known as the Latchkey Kids. You all heard that term as well? I see some nodding and, and some um, shaking their heads. Um, Latchkey Kids were kids who, um, after they were dropped off on the bus on the way home from school, returned home to empty houses because both of their parents were working. And they would often wear keys around their necks to let themselves into their homes. Uh, there was a real reason for the need for latchkey kids for my generation. Um, all of a sudden, our society was seeing increased divorce rates and also increased maternal participation in the workforce. And this is before there was aftercare and other you know, more formal, um, organized options for children um, to go into and stay after school before their parents were done for work. My generation went through our formative years as one of the least parented, least nurtured generations in US history. You're probably hearing this and already realizing that there's a real difference maybe between the way my generation was raised and the way your generation was raised. Our personality was largely shaped by the independence of being left alone when we were children. We had a lot of freedom. And there were some negative aspects there to all that freedom. It was a lot easier to get in trouble. It was a lot easier to engage in behavior that our parents would not have approved of. But there were some important positive aspects to all of that freedom, too. We developed a sense of independence and self-reliance at a very young age. For my generation, Ronald Reagan was the president who shaped us the most. He was a rugged individualist. He was a cowboy who loved open spaces and all things freedom. He was a Hollywood actor, but he was more at home on his humble ranch in California than he was at glitzy, fancy Hollywood parties. He was an American patriot who loved his country and a hero who kept America safe by making us strong. His policy of peace through strength was a hallmark of his presidency, um, as was his character. Ronald Reagan was strong and decisive. You know, more than any other figure for my generation, Ronald Reagan personified leadership. My generation was also very influenced by the culture of the 90s, which was largely a reaction against the perceived excesses of the 1980s, with the big hair and the electric, electric keyboards, electric guitar. The grunge movement was a big influence in the 1990s. And more than anything, the grunge movement was about authenticity. The clothing was very toned down in the 1990s. A lot of t-shirts and flannels. Nirvana's acoustic show. I assume you're familiar with Nirvana, right? Nirvana's acoustic show. Um, it was really a rejection of the manufactured sound of the 1980s. Our movies were also a huge influence. And the values that were portrayed in the movies also followed this trend of authenticity. One of the um, uh, most widely cited uh, movies of my generation is, is Reality Bites. Have any of you seen this movie? 
it's really a classic Gen X movie. It's about recent college graduates um, and uh, what they value in life. And the young people in this movie, they define success as having authentic relationships, being true to themselves and not pursuing success just for the sake of success. There's a classic scene in that movie where Ethan Hawke tells Winona Ryder that all they need is a couple of smokes, this is when smoking was a little bit more accepted, maybe even a little bit cool at times, a couple of smokes, a cup of coffee, and a little bit of conversation, uh, you and me and five bucks. These influences are probably why, after my generation graduated from school, we tended to romanticize this struggle. We were so proud to be receiving and earning our first paychecks and having our own place that was just ours. You know, it doesn't seem like that long ago to me that I was so proud to have my first job and to be earning my first paycheck and paying for my own place. I remember that first job um, very, very vividly. And I wasn't making much money. Um, in fact, I was so poor at the time that I remember for lunch every day, I ate a power bar and a handful of almonds because I didn't want to waste my hard-earned money on you know, fancy food. So, but yes, I had friends and I had goals. And honestly, I was happy with that. I think you need to understand that this is the common experience of a lot of your supervisors. And some of us can't help comparing what we remember from our experience, and I'm sure we don't remember Every, every single field that we had, but we do remember this general trend of working our, our way up and appreciating it and being very proud of that. But we're comparing our experience with what we may perceive to be your common experience and your attitudes. So let's talk about your experience. Again, I'm going to say some generalizations here. I know that this is not going to describe every single one of you. Um, but you all have shared some common experiences that do shape your generation. So let's talk about some of those. If the Gen X kids are the latchkey kids, millennials are sometimes considered the children of helicopter parents. You were probably not left home alone um, after school when you were a child, if both of your parents worked. Um, maybe you went to an aftercare program or another organized activity or program. It's become such the norm today of children not spending time alone that now neighbors will actually call the cops if they see children anywhere without a parent present. That would have never happened when I was growing up. You know, every generation of parents just want the best for their children. But some of the parents of millennials took their role of helping you be happy and successful to an all-new level that has just never been seen um, before. Some of you, when you were little, you might have gone on organized playdates. This is a trend that really started uh, with your generation, and um, I myself organized playdates for my kids all the time. This has really started uh, for the first time with your generation. Parents were more purposeful about helping you develop friendships that were a good fit for your unique personality. Uh, your parents, especially your mother, might have organized games and crafts for you. If there was a conflict, your mom might have rushed in to help you resolve it and to tell you what to do. They say, I'm sorry, you know, look your friend in the eye, say I'm sorry. And you know, it's possible that you were not given the chance to work things out on your own terms um, without parental guidance. This concept of a play date didn't exist um, when Gen Xers were kids. We played with kids in our neighborhood and we had informal interactions with other children who 
helped us test the boundaries of relationships on our own terms. You know, today it's not uncommon for children to spend a lot of time in the car being driven around to different activities, whether it be soccer or piano or golf. You know, who knows? Your child may be the next Tiger Woods, and you don't want to miss out on that opportunity of exposing your child to lots of different experiences. Um, kids today don't have a lot of downtime, um, and they're not organizing games of their own creativity and their own making uh, with kids that happen to live in the same neighborhoods they do. Again, parents today, um, and I think beginning with your generation and your parents, loved you so very, very much, and they wanted you to have a full childhood, um, so not a second of your childhood could be wasted on, on frivolous activities. Okay, I think we need to talk about participation trophies, and I know that you are all very, very tired of hearing about this. I get it, but I think it's important. There is no aspect of your childhood, and also of the childhood experience today, that perplexes Gen Xers more than the uh, elimination of the concept of winners and losers. Recently, I went to a talent show at um, my children's elementary school, and there were all these acts, um, a lot of dance acts, singing acts, you know, piano playing. But there was no first place winner, there was no second place winner. Um, there was no judging at all. In fact, all the acts were just all good. Everybody was just encouraged just to participate. I know this is not true for all activities. Um, sports games still have a winner and a loser, a soccer game or a softball game. But still, at the end of the season, uh, children today, and again, a lot of it beginning with your generation, they still get trophies at the end of the season. Childhood is supposed to be fun, and trophies are fun. My kids love uh, my children have their trophies all uh, around the room, uh, all, all displayed all around the room. It concerns me the message that it sends to them. So when my own children look up their trophies and they see these trophies, what is the message? They're so proud of them. They're so shiny. The message is, wow, I did it. Look at that. You know, I showed up. You know, showing up is not greatness. Showing up is the opportunity for greatness. And it concerns me that the way we started to raise children today, we're robbing them of the experience of setting a goal and working toward that goal. And one of the most memorable experiences of my childhood was training with my father for the Junior Olympics. I entered myself in uh, the mile run, the mile race, and I trained with my dad, um, and I ran the race, and I won. I was seven years old, and I was so very, very proud of that. And what was really neat is uh, the Junior Olympics, and it was uh, organized by our community. And there was a booklet that the committee published every year. And we had record holders there. And I went so fast, and I was a record holder. So every year when they went back to the Junior Olympics, I would quickly turn to that section on the seven-year-olds. And there I was, you know, every year. And we'd beat my record for a few years. That was an experience that was very important to me as a child. I was very proud of it. But I think it was also uh, important for you know, the other seven-year-olds as they came up. And they saw at the time um, in the mile race, and it gave them something to look to, to try to beat. That was a very good experience for me, but I think also the opposite was true. Um, when I was in the seventh <coughs> grade, I tried out the basketball team. And this is something that my parents encouraged me to do. I thought it would be fun. Um, I was a pretty athletic kid, so I figured, you know, how hard it would be. 
And it was three days of um, dribbling and practicing and passing and um, shooting baskets in front of the coaches. And at the end of the three days, you know, there were just a, a certain number of spots on the team, um, and I wasn't good enough to make the team, so I was cut. And yeah, I was disappointed, I was a little embarrassed, but I coped. Um, and that opportunity of being uh, cut from the team, coping with it, it you know, not only helped me to uh, figure out how to move on after a disappointment, but it also freed up my time. You know, today, a lot of the kids will make a B team, or they allowed to sit on the bench, but they're allowed to participate in an activity that, just for whatever reason, they're not going to be great at. Not making the basketball team freed me up and allowed me to pursue other activities. When I was in high school, I was in the tennis team. And you know what? I was really good at tennis. I was a singles player, um, and I really enjoyed it. And I was also uh, an editor of our school newspaper. And who knows, if I made that, that basketball team when I was in seventh grade, maybe I wouldn't have pursued these other opportunities. There is a real emphasis today on children um, feeling happy and fulfilled. I think that some of this is carrying over into some of your early internships and early uh, job experiences. I've heard it said that millennials want you, you want your work to have a lot of meaning. Um, this is actually great news for those of you who are going into the conservative movement, because you're going to be working for a cause that you really believe in. You want every aspect of your job to feel meaningful and fulfilling. And this is true now as an intern and then um, in your first job. I think um, something also unique about your generation is there has been an emphasis on success itself. Some of your heroes are Steve Jobs and uh, Mark Zuckerberg. These are individuals who achieve just monumental breakthrough success at a very young age. <clears throat> and they lived well. You want to live well, your parents want you to live well, and many members of your generation actually moved back home after graduating from school, in part because you want to live in a nicer house and you don't want to live someplace that you know, may be considered a little bit below um, your standards of how you want to live. I think there's also a social media effect going on, Facebook and Pinterest and others. You see some of your friends' most fabulous moments on the screen, and you can't help but constantly compare in your life. I do this myself. You know, I'm a mom, and you see other kids' happy faces, and you, know, you have one, a, a child screaming at some point, and you know everybody posts their best moments on Facebook, and you tend to look at those and think, wow, you know, they're doing it better than I am. So I think there's some of that going on um, with uh, some millennials as well. You constantly want more, a better life, and more excitement. I'm going to give you some of uh, supervisors' most common complaints about millennials. Just throw it out there so you hear what some of us um, supervisors are saying about some people your age. Um, it has been said that millennials are impatient, um, that you want it all now, that you want to be in charge of your own department immediately, and you want to be making an executive salary your first or second year on the job. Um, it is said of millennials that some of you don't like to be criticized. Um, it is said of millennials that um, you are so accustomed to praise uh, that you crave it for even accomplishing the most simple tasks. I want to leave you with one overall thought on this subject. It may be fair and it may not be fair, but something you should know is that many Gen Xers who are supervising millennials remember finding meaning in some of our early working experiences and, most importantly, finding meaning in our early struggles. And 
supervisors are sometimes critical of millennials who seem to have a sense of entitlement to the good life, but who may not be willing to listen, to learn, and to put in the work um, to earn it, like they feel like they did. And I tell you all this, you just understand kind of what you're walking into in your internship um, and your early job experiences. This is a good segue um, into the advice portion of my talk. I have five pieces of advice for you. Okay, the first, understand who your supervisors are. They're not your parents, uh, even though they may tell you what to do um, and they may give you advice. They're not your coaches, even though they may push you to do your very best and they really genuinely want the best for you. They're not your teachers, even though I hope they're teaching you a whole lot. They're your evaluators and they're evaluating you from the perspective of Gen Xers. They're comparing you to us, um, and they're also comparing you to other young people who have gone through their office. If you impress your supervisor, they can help you get your next internship or job, and they can also kill your next internship or job. I think one of the unintended consequences of participation trophies has been that most of your life, a lot of millennials have been rewarded for just showing up. There's been a focus on togetherness and graduating as a group. When you graduate from kindergarten, you've all moved on to first grade. I know I have my daughter's kindergarten graduation next week. It's a big production. It is exciting for her to move on to first grade, and that's something we should be celebrating. Um, you're graduating from eighth grade and moving on to high school. You're graduating from high school. Um, probably most of the, uh, like your fellow graduates are moving on to some college experience of some kind. From your internships and your early jobs, you won't all be moving on equally. Some of you will be more successful than others, and now is the time you really need to do everything you can to distinguish yourself. Okay, number two, uh, determine what you want your supervisors to think of you and work backwards. So figure out, you know, for your, when you're applying for your next internship, when you're applying for your next job, and um, your, the next hiring, uh, the person who's gonna hire for the next position, calls your supervisor, what, it is, what is it that you want your supervisor to say about you? I've been talking about here a whole lot. I would love to see some participation at this point. Can you offer what is it that you want your supervisor um, to say about you at the end of your internship? Anybody? Yes. Awesome. I want my boss to say that I was a professional. I mean, because I know a lot of people will say, oh, you don't come into work. It's like, oh, I'm so tired. Like, I didn't get any sleep last night person that, like, my boss came to me and said, are you doing okay? And, like, they, they ask those questions mm -hmm. instead of promoting that all the time. Yes, I think that's huge, actually, professionalism. And you want to take professionalism, I think, to such a level that you want to be a leader among the other, um, the other interns or the other people in, uh, of your same age um, that you're working with in your office. That's a great, great uh, attribute. Yes? In the back? Oh. And that was going to be asked to stand, but um, just to be, just to be very trustworthy, reliable, like show up to work on time every day, um, maintain a positive attitude throughout the day, even though it's not always going to be a good day, mm -hmm. and just like not engaging in conflict with other people in the office, like when someone's like in a bad mood or something, just remain professional because everyone else that's. Um, there's a lot of interns in our office, and everyone else that's working full time, they may be like really um, struggling to focus throughout the day. So just 
remaining professional, being trustworthy, and just um, being cohesive with the other people in the office as a group. I think that's great, and I think I love that you said positive attitude. Um, I think a lot of us, um, you get wrapped up in uh, one of the tasks that you're doing, and you get a little bit carried away um, and, and really lose sight of what the bigger picture is. But when your supervisors and your coworkers see you um, really tackle a task um, wholeheartedly and want to do a great job, and most importantly, the smile on your face is huge. Um, it's not just young people who have both struggle with this, by the way. This is all generations struggle with this when you're working on something. Just try to do it with a positive attitude. You're not putting anybody else down, and you're accepting personal responsibility completely for the task. I think it's huge. And that one thing alone, if you can really work on that every single day of your internship, I think they can do great. Okay, number three. Some of you aren't going to like this one. Um, you need to believe that you're being judged by your appearance. Um, I know a lot of us want to be um, loved for our big brains, our great ideas, um, and everything that we can contribute to an office. But you have to understand the reality of uh, the situation that you're in right now, which is you are being judged um, on lots of different factors. A recent study by the Harvard Medical School found that supervisors and coworkers assess competence and trustworthiness in a quarter of a second based on physical traits. Here are some of the physical traits. Posture. Um, when you're standing up straight and um, you're, you're walking very nicely, you're in a meeting, you're not all slouched over, you are reflecting confidence and authority. For some of you Downton Abbey fans out there, Okay, so you know when they're, when they're seated, when they're walking, they always have this just very distinguished way about them. And it says something about it. It really reflects this confidence um, and the prominence of the Crawley family. So what I'd like to encourage all of you to do when you're in an important meeting, when you're talking to your supervisor, you're doing something that you really want to impress, I want you to channel your inner Lady Mary or Lady Edith. <laughs> I prefer Lady Edith, but you can go ahead and take your pick. Another uh, trait that this study found was very important in um, reflecting confidence to um, supervisors and coworkers was physical attractiveness. And this does not mean that you all have to have great cheekbones in order to be very successful. What it does mean is you have to want to try to look your best and maybe um, put a little bit of effort um, into this. Attractive people are more likely to be viewed as smart, happy, interesting, and successful. Um, this might mean for some of you to take a few minutes to do your hair in the morning or to put some makeup on. Um, we have seen a lot of interns uh, go through our office and just around town um, who, again, are um, so excited about the idea of contributing and thinking that all that matters in uh, that they go to work and they get their job done. But you need to be aware that you'll make an impression, and a lot of your own personal success is going to depend on the way other people perceive you. So take the time to Another factor that you should be aware of that um, this study found was important um, for the success of especially women is slimness. And women are judged more critically for their weight than men. Again, this does not mean that you have to be a size 2. What it does mean is you have to make smart decisions about clothing. So you need to maybe try a little bit harder than men do to find clothes that are uh, flattering for your figure. Don't just buy clothes that are a good deal. Because even if you find a dress that's marked out drastically and you think, wow, I got this 
that's a great deal. It's not a great deal if it doesn't look good on you. Um, another physical trait that's very important is just the way that you dress, uh, the clothes that you pick out. The um, term used by the study that women should aspire to um, is actually great for us. It's called conservative chic. You want to be, try to be stylish without being too trendy. And at your age, what you want to start doing is weeding out some of that junior clothes in your wardrobe and start replacing it with more professional items. Um, I recommend that you not buy anything too busy that you can't wear a lot. Um, you might want to try buying some of those sheath dresses. You know, those are from A line, just solid one color dresses. You can buy some accessories, scarves or belts or necklaces um, so that you can wear that one dress a lot of different ways. Another thing, especially with uh, a lot of the dresses for um, young women your age, you have to be careful of the dresses that are a little bit too low cut. So you want to try to get a bralette, um, something to just cover you up a little bit. Because it doesn't matter if you do everything else right um, if you're uh, exposing your cleavage to your coworkers, none of that is going to matter. Another thing is no miniskirts. Um, miniskirts are very distracting, and um, uh, you need to not do it. And the reason I'm getting a little funny at this point is I'm about to tell you a very, very embarrassing story. Um, it's a true story, something that happened to me. Um, uh, when I was just a little bit older than you, I was working at the American Tort Reform Association. And I went to a very prestigious law firm. We were working on some legislation um, for Congress. And uh, we were working through it with a team of attorneys. And I wore a suit that I thought looked great. And afterwards, um, a woman approached me, just the two of us. There was nobody else there to embarrass me. Just the two of us. And she said, I need to tell you something. Your shirt is too short. Well, I looked at her. And uh, she was this middle-aged woman. And I have to tell you what I thought was, she wishes she looked as good as I do in this mini shirt. Okay? When I was with my friends that night, we all laughed about it. It was not until years later that I thought about this moment, completely humiliated, and thought, this woman is trying to help me. So I encourage all of you, you know, especially if a, a woman who's a little bit older than you um, wants to give you some advice, I encourage you, try to listen to her and don't try to think that you know exactly what's going on and exactly why she's giving you that advice. Okay, number four. Um, be honest about whatever it is that's impeding your success and work to improve it every day. Malcolm Gladwell has made a very important insight in that personality traits are not as set as we sometimes think that they are. And we can practice certain behavior and will ourselves to act differently in certain situations. If you know that you're a little bit shy, uh, don't expect your coworkers or supervisors to put in extra effort and extra time to get to know you. You make the effort. Go out there, talk to some of your coworkers, um, even when it makes you a little bit anxious. Uh, if you're naturally cute and bubbly, um, even if you're naturally a little bit flirtatious, you need to learn how to tone this down a little bit in the office. Aspects of your cuteness um, are going to naturally come out, um, and it is going to be even more endearing if it happens over time and gradually, um, and not just day in and day out. When I was a senior in college, um, I got an internship at the Republican State Committee in New Jersey, and um, I was very excited about it. Now, it's possible that I was a very bubbly um, young lady uh, when I was in college. I had this cute blonde um, body haircut, or very cute clothes, and I was all over the place, very bubbly. Uh, but I really wanted to be taken seriously at this internship. So I went to Lens Crackers a few days before my internship. 2020 vision, 
and got myself a pair of glasses um, with no prescription in it. I went to that internship, um, and I impressed. And I remember my supervisor, who was older than I was, said to me, you're those smart girls, aren't you? I love that. You don't all have to get glasses, but you understand the point. Now, beyond personality, uh, I hear from a lot of young people that they're very insecure about um, their writing. And writing is one of those tasks that you only are going to get better with it over time. It doesn't matter how smart you are, it's experience and it's time that makes you become a better writer. So I encourage all of you, read as much as possible, especially read for different um, kinds of writing styles, and write as much as possible. The best advice I can give you about writing is if there is a project, a writing project that your supervisor has given you, and it does not have to be handed in immediately, it's not urgent, give it a day, even give it two days, because whatever you write today is going to sound very differently tomorrow. I see some of you nodding, it's true. The worst thing you can do is hand something in immediately, because even you, when you get it back, you're going to read it. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm this in. So my best advice for you, really, on writing, is just give it a day, let it sit, read it again. Um, number five. Uh, my number five piece of advice is my list of nevers. Never complain. Um, whatever it is that is going on and you're complaining about, it's probably not as bad as you think it is at that very moment. And you never know what is going on with the person that you're complaining to, because they might actually have um, some real problems. Never say you're tired. Never say you're tired. Um, especially to work at mom. When I was pregnant with my fifth child, we had this intern. And I remember every single day seeing him and um, coming to the office and I'd say, I won't say it to now, but hey, how are you doing today? Every single day, I was, oh, I'm so tired. And I would think, if you had any idea what I did this morning already, but okay, you're tired. Actually, it's kind of funny because I just saw him a few months ago out of the writing ranch. I said, hi, how are you? I'm tired. <laughs> True story. Gossip. Don't gossip. Um, you are always going to look bad um, when you gossip, no matter what. Just don't do it. Uh, don't send an email to a supervisor that feels like a text. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, we might say that it feels like we just had our, you know, um, it has not been that long since our first job. This is one thing that my generation were real conventions about um, our emails because uh, you know, when we were first entering the workforce, some of us didn't even have email in the office. Um, and we do not want um, a young person to send us an email with, you know, LOL or. Um, without a proper salutation. So use real sentences with, with, with periods and um, add a salutation in there too. Um, don't write anything in your email that you don't want your supervisor to see, they can forward it. Um, and never under any circumstance be late, ever. There's never a reason for it. Plan accordingly. Okay, and begin, I'm going to end with this. You are at the beginning of your internship and your career right now, and you are off to a really great start just by being here. This is an opportunity that you'll never have again um, to distinguish yourself right now. So please be smart about how you approach the next few months, the next few years of your work. And you may be surprised how much Gen Xers really do want to help you. So please ask for advice um, and please listen. Okay, so 
My name is Dina Vermiliotis. Um, I interned for Congressman Bill Rockus on the Hill. And what was the other one? Oh, I go to Rollins College. It's in Orlando. And so my question is, because I know this is a big learning experience, and I've had multiple internships, but I want to know what is your best advice for areas improvement of improvement? Like, do you think that if you came in, um, like, and you weren't a good worker, and you took too long to take tasks, and someone that took too long of breaks, like, do you think it's um, possible to to start fresh and impress over time, or yes. do you think they'll see the improvement, or do you think they'll just judge you on the first few weeks that were really bad? No, goodness gracious, I think that every day is a new day. I think you wake up every single day, and you try to do the absolute best that you can be. Don't worry about anything that happened in the past. I mean, all of us have done really embarrassing things that we really wish we could take back. Don't worry about anything that happened um, before. Just make every day the best day. All right, thank you.